should be our intro. Make sure you don't overfill it. Spill it everywhere. <laughs> we should have a we should have a Blake a Blake focused episode. We did. This is the second episode. Yeah. What? It's called brewing with Blake. No, 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 no. I mean, like part two. Yeah, like yeah. like another one that's like where I where I am the uh, what do y'all call yourselves? The wingmen. Yeah, the wingmen. We stand corner three, three, corner and three guys. Three yeah. And Problem is, I'm not an expert on everything, so yeah. I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we should do a being Lawson Harlow. Oh, episode. what does that even mean? Just what does that look speaking. Like? What does that mean? Being an authority on everything. I'm not an authority, <laughs> on everything. but we expect you to be. Yeah, that's that's why we show up. Yeah, the the joke was like he was. I was telling him. Well, you. Met, I don't know if you were in the restroom, but he was like, in a, he asked me a question about Anabaptist history, and I'm like, bro. No, my spheres. I didn't say that. I no, said, what is an Anabaptist? Like, there's I know, probably I know, a lot of like, people are like, there's a historical that? Anabaptist, and then there's like the Anabaptists. What, it was just what they bait. It was a... Uh, well, everybody, they all splinter off. They they do. It's real. Yeah. It's real. Because I think Quakers come from Anabaptists. Yeah, Quakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Lawson can be accused of a lot of things, and Quaker is not one of them. Mm-hmm. Can be accused Causing of people to quake. Uh, in often, that sense, yeah, often and unjustly called Anabaptist. I I do love that. That's good. Yeah, I do like that line. I saw a mug that had that on it. All right, I've got to. I've got to take a call at eleven. At eleven, one, two, three. Welcome to Products of Grace Podcast by Mercy of the Church. My name is Lawson Harlow. With me today, I have Don Tennell and Blake McCullough. So, Don, what are we doing today? Who the heck is Don Tennell? Don Tennell. <laughs> Don Tennell is Don's alter ego. It's the nice yeah. one. How many L's are in my name? Two. Mm. It's not spelled right. It's not spelled right in my phone, but right, I know right. it. Uh, Where did I graduate look, from college from? Union. Maybe we shouldn't. No, no. Let's do this. Personal this. information. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what was the what was the address of your uh, first home? <laughs> And what, where'd you go to middle school? And what's your mom's maiden's name? Also, can I have your social security <laughs> number, please? Your first, your first pet's name. I grew up on... Carlos. Cosgrave Cove. Please don't tell people this. I didn't give a number. I don't know the number. It, it, anybody, don't, don't do that. Just stop. My social security number no! is... <laughs> 999. My phone number is 555. Oh, my gosh. You ever see telephone numbers on TV shows and you tried to call them? <laughs> no, because my mom told me five 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 is never real. Wow, my mom gave uh, my daughter an old cell phone to play with because you know kids. to play like Snake. No, just like as a baby, like as a toddler. Here, oh. this phone doesn't work anymore. You can have it. Yeah, exactly. So the phone gets home to my house and it's kind of a it's a Nokia. Yep. Okay, silver, long, had the little stub Thick. antenna Thick. to play Snake with. No, Lawson. It, it was this dead. is my it didn't story. Charge. Right. Well, oh. it had power <laughs> to play Snake with, but there were no games with it. She Snake just, was on the Nokia. She would walk around talking. Yeah, talking. Well, all of a sudden, like Noel. I hear somebody talking. On <laughs> no, it. she calls nine one one. It goes through every time. Yes. Yep. She. Yeah, you don't need to have anything to dial nine one one. I get on the phone. The operator's like, "Sir." This is the fourth call we've gotten from this number in the last 10 minutes, and we're about to dispatch. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, this is an old phone that my mom gave my daughter, and she's a toddler walking around the house just hitting buttons. Well, evidently, it had like that emergency button Uh on it, and that's what she was in. I had no clue. So I slide the battery off of it, and I'm like, here you go. And she's big mad. Yes, because now nothing lights up on it. I called my mom. I was like, what are you thinking? About to get me in trouble with the law. For real, I'm going to jail. <laughs> i tell you about my, they called my dad. Going back to the limbs at the street story. My dad is texting me, trying to call me. Hey, dude, police are looking for you, but my dad covered for me. Shut your up. dad yeah police police dispatch was like wasn't your dad a police officer yeah <laughs> police dispatch was like we need his number do you have his number do you know his number that was the question do yeah. you know his number and he answered no i don't i don't know it and she's like sir 
he's your son <laughs> and you don't know his number? No. He's like, no, I don't. But I'll pass the message on. <laughs> I was like, dad, covering. Dad, get some shovels. We're burying these limbs. <laughs> That's Dude, trees are dangerous. Heard it. Trees I got to are... fix a fence today. Because limbs fell on it? Mm-hmm. Dude, in my tree in the front yard, there was an entire limb. Your tree in your Huge. front yard is literally a character on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like it's li- you're, this tree. I'm going to carve my name in that tree. <laughs> yeah. I thought, man, if somebody was standing under there. Dead. Doomsday. Dooms. Final destination. Day. So, you want to hear my latest raccoon? No. No? Call, oh, I didn't call even... it a trash panda. <laughs> it makes it cuter. <laughs> it's real. It does. It probably makes you feel good. This was a juvenile, and I tested a theory on it, and the theory worked. <gasps> no, <laughs> I don't want to hear this. Success. What is? Was it? Was it a? Was it bait? No, it was just in my front yard. I know. What was? What was the, the test? Time. What was the test? Pellet gun. No, we're not doing that. I don't want to hear it. I didn't tell you. I, I, I'm just giving you the articles. The equipment. Yes. Yeah. Normally you think firearm, firearm in city limits, illegal. Your pellet gun is the Don't most need to be shooting a firearm in the air. That's dangerous to begin with. Fair, fair. Especially in city limits. Yeah, because it's going to fall. But you never miss. I don't miss. <laughs> because it's point blank. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so what are we doing today? I don't know. Today, we will discuss the title of today's, today's episode, which is a primer. Oh, fun. A primer. Cool. That can mean a lot. It can. Primer paint? Mm. Yep. Kilts. Oh, dude. Kilts? Oh. Yeah, ain't Isn't nothing like it. Yeah. yeah. Was it kills? I don't know. I think it's kills. kills. I think it's kills. I don't think there's a tag. I like how paint smells. No, you don't. Bro, you should have been at my house yesterday. I could have got you right. <laughs> painting. <laughs> you just want to sniff at it. it. I'm good at it. Uh, I kind of like it, but I'm bad at it. So we're, oh, I got a we good trim together. Oh, hello. With the brush. I know what I know what I'm doing up top. Tape free. Tape free, dude. Heard it. You just got to get the, you got to get, get the, the, it's in the wrist. Yeah. And you got to get the ball of paint rolling like a wave right up on the edge where yeah. it kind of tucks in and then, and then you roll it. People don't understand. You roll it like an M. Uh-huh. I watched you do this. Yep. I have to train people on how to do that. Charles taught me how to paint. Yeah? Yeah, we were painting uh, the CPS office years ago. Wait, what? Yeah, they asked for people. Uh, it was Redeemer. Redeemer Baptist got people. They were like, hey, we're trying to get... <laughs> we were the only men there. It was the weirdest <laughs> thing. So everybody there, there's like 30 people. Charles, I think it was Charles and myself and maybe one other person from the church, from from here that went. And it was the weirdest, like we were the only men in the room or in the building. It was just strange. Hmm. But nonetheless, he taught me how to paint. It was helpful. So Julie and I were out to dinner a couple nights ago. Where'd y'all go? Uh, I won't tell you. Okay. I mean, I can tell you. But you're going to tell a story. I just don't want to identify. Don't want, yeah, I got yeah, you. I go ahead. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, sitting there, we're eating, and a, a homeless man comes in to the restaurant. Okay. And it's kind of an open air type situation mm-hmm. where it, it made sense because it's not like, it's not like an O'Charlie's or a Ruby Tuesday's. Does that still exist? Pretty sure Ruby Tuesday's died with COVID. <laughs> I just think that's real. I just wanted to say that. They got the long COVID. Or a TGI Friday. They got the long right? COVID and they lost their taste buds. Yeah. Oh, they lost ago. them years before. Yeah. So, you know what I said about TGI Fridays? Everything had Jack Daniel's sauce, and it wasn't anything other than dark colored pancake sauce. It was like Jack Daniel's ribs, and just pancake syrup all over it. Ugh. I'm uh, like, let's get these Jack Daniel wings, and it's just like, I don't, I don't need. How about Jack Daniel's sauce on your salad? And I'm like, everything uh, is drenched in pancake syrup here. Ugh. <laughs> it's like I don't know why Jack Daniel's put their name on all those. Pink all that pancake syrup. <laughs> all right. So he comes in, he comes immediately to my table, and I put my hand up. Like, stop. Don't ask me. I'm eating. One of those. 
If you stop the story right there, I sound like a dirtbag. Yeah, you did like that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Just hold that. Just hold I, that I for a minute. Like, I've, I've had ethically, to do, yeah, I've ethically, had to, yeah. like, you know, like, but I, I struggle with understanding the homeless plight of this particular individual. I won't paint with a broad brush. Okay. But then taking that plight and not applying it broad brush. Fair. Okay. That's, that's the big judgment call, right? So I put my hand up. Obviously, am I the dirtbag? Question mark. We shall see. He goes to the next table and he's like, dude, I want some fish. I just want one piece of fish. Let me get money for one piece of fish. By that time, the manager comes back out of the back of the house and comes to this and he's, she's like, you cannot be here. You have to leave. And the guy says, hold on, I'm going to give him some money, gives him a $20 bill. And he's like, man, he gets the 20. He's like, I just, I want some fish. He's like, friend, you've got enough. Go get the fish. We're watching all this happen. Okay. He goes and then immediately gets whatever he's getting and leaves and walks out. And all he's got is a styrofoam cup. Okay. Manager comes back out and tells the people, listen, they, he really doesn't need to be in here. I could lose my job. Like, and there's only mm. one manager here today, and they're not allowed to be in here soliciting or loitering. Please don't give them money anymore, because do you know what he bought with your money? He's like, I think I saw. He's like, he bought beer, and I wasn't even supposed to serve him. Mm. And the whole time, Julie <laughs> turns to me and goes, don't. Because I was about to be like, it's a valuable lesson. Yeah, I know it is. To be wise. And to know that what she, and he goes, oh, no worries. Like I was just giving him the money to get him out of here. Like, he's making all these excuses. And I wanted to say, she's trying to tell you that you're creating her a problem. Right. Yeah. By facilitating this transaction for, by all intents and purposes and appearances is an alcoholic. Who, yeah. Who is lazy and a sluggard and would rather live in ill repute and nasty situations and prey on other people. He's a predator. I actually hard agree with that. Um, Am I a dirtbag? <laughs> now that you can, know the rest of the story. Can two things be true at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> I felt really vindicated. Yeah, I, that's fair. I um, I was like, win. So one of the things that I, I used to, I mean, to be honest with you, like I don't, this isn't a jab at Memphis. I don't live in Memphis anymore, so I very rarely come across homeless people. Mm-hmm. But when I was living in Memphis, especially in Cordova, we would, I had gift cards, mm. like McDonald's gift cards. Mm-hmm. And that, and so anytime, because I was frankly like going into Target and places like that over in Cordova, like I would get stopped by people. And so I was just like, okay, I'll, I'll give you this gift card to McDonald's that's right there. Mm-hmm. Right. That's you, you can eat with that. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Yeah, but I I do think there's an over application of if someone asks you for your for your uh for your shirt, give them your cloak also. It's like that. I don't think that's making like because you have to you have to synchronize that with uh, he who doesn't work doesn't eat. That's right. Yeah, which is which is you know like if someone's laboring. My stepdad has this idea for uh, welfare, mm-hmm. and it's that you can only be given welfare if you are if you're employed. Mm. I'm, he said it's not original to him. It will always be original to him in my brain. But it, that just makes sense to me. Yeah, in my in my in my viewpoint, there is enough resources at people's disposal where you don't you don't have to live like that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I think. Especially in America, it's fair. If you're poor in America, like, yeah, and I'm not I'm not using poor and like the I'm saying that individual being that poor. Yeah, 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 has made a choice. Yeah. All right. Now, I want to repaint with a broad brush here. Okay. So broad brush, broad brush too. It's like, there are some circumstances where in which... Yeah, people have fallen on hard times. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm yeah. not taking that away. Yeah. But I'm like, I think the normal involvement with that situation, again, I think we have to be guarded against being... What's the word? Starts with an S. Swindled. I <laughs> that too. What's the name of that word? 
It's like critical. It's the word for critical. Cynical? Yes. Cynical. cynical. Starts cynical. with a C, but yes. Sorry. <laughs> cynical starts with a C? Yeah. Yeah. Rather, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's and the terrible. It has two L's in it. It's crazy. Hush. Madness, man. I still Madness. can't believe I smelled. I, spe- I, smelled. I smelled. You can't believe I smelled his last name. All right. Well, uh, thank you for joining us <laughs> no, on this podcast no, no, today. So, gentlemen, let's find out in the rest of this episode. <laughs> if Don's a dirtbag. <laughs> <laughs> if we lay a good base. How about that? I don't take us there yeah it's a primer on exodus yeah it is it's a primer so i was on telling exodus. julie um about she's like what's what's coming next mm. and i said well there's going to be a mini series a preaching mini series she's like what's that going to be about i was like i don't know it's three of them and it's going to be in the book of genesis right right what are the we haven't figured out exactly okay, well, i want to put you on the I spot have my, i have my basic plan What's your which basic I'm just going to tell you now. What's the primer? What's the primer? So the, the primer the, to the, the primer. primer. The primer for, Gen- for Exodus will be, uh, this is my thought, Genesis 1 through 3. Oh, he's getting it in. He's now, you wanted this to begin with. Well, no, I wanted to preach the whole book of Genesis. Uh, uh, <laughs> so now I'm just going to do like, a big a, overview. Yeah, this is technically a fat L for me. <laughs> um so this is, this is uh, preaching through uh, Genesis 1 through 3. This is, these are one-sitting sermons. So we're going to do 1, 2, 3, one-sitting. So we're essentially just meta-narrative. Okay. So we're going to do that. What I want to do is I, think, I don't think we're going to do like you can— re- I think this is crucial. I think you have to do this. Yeah, but what I was going to say is I don't think we're going to do like primeval history from, from, like thir- from like 4 to 11. I think we're going to skip that. Here's what I think. Oh, uh, I would go one through eleven. I I just like I I hear that. Like if I was going to do it all, I'd do one that. through eleven. Then It'll I would do then I would do Abraham, and then I would do Joseph. But I think it's better. I think it's probably better to do uh, creation, fall, then do Abraham, and specifically the promise that was given to Abraham that that his children would be slaves in a foreign land. And then do Joseph's promise or Joseph's request to take my bones out, and so you essentially build it from character. Yeah, because I think um, I think that's crucial because in uh, the first the setting that's laid out in the first six verses or seven verses, these are the names of the sons of Israel who right. came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household: Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Naphtali. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in, G- in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And it also says um, 70 the people. Names. There's another section that says, it's back in Genesis, the 70 people. Hold on. Hold on. Have you ever noticed the way that Don flips pages? It's it's this it's the same wrist <laughs> that paints well. Yeah, <laughs> he's just, he just going to flick the wrist, and the pages are going to turn. Yep. Somewhere, dude, it says seventy, and it's not in. It's it's not in Exodus. It is in Exodus one, but it's an additional. Gotcha. That, in addition to that, I was yeah. telling Julie about this. She's like, "All right, it makes sense." And then. I said Exodus, and it's not her favorite book. <laughs> you know why? And she was defending against me, saying, "I realize, I realize it's your favorite." And I said, "It's it's not necessarily my favorite." I said, "The storyline mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. so, man, it is so crucial." To True. the totality of scripture. It is. It really is. Like, I mean, the more that I get in this thought process, it's like the history of Israel and how they got there from Genesis, Exodus, and then you've got the golden age of the pinnacle of the kingdom and the Messiah descending from David. Like, all of these, I mean, Jude references it. It's you true. once fully knew it, Jesus, who led a people out of Egypt. Where else can you go to study? the exodus of God's people other than the book of Exodus. I love Deuteronomy as well. Like Deuteronomy adds in, I mean, I, I love all of that story, the Red Sea, Pharaoh, the plagues, um, you know, all of that. 
So what would you say to someone who says, that's not my favorite book? There's 65 others. <laughs> yeah, but I guess like for us, I'm like trolling. Why, why, why Exodus? Because you wouldn't let me have Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> not in contrast, um, just in value. So I'll, can I be like, I'm going to be super frank for just a minute. Yeah. Or you can be lost on whoever you want to be. I'm, I'm a little scared of Exodus. Yeah. Yeah. So like, but but I'm but I'm traditionally scared of every book I'm about to preach, especially if it's a big if it's a big task. Oh, and she says she says I think she speaks for a lot of people. We're gonna be there forever. Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> that's not true. I, I don't think that's true. Yeah, yeah we'll be either. we'll be in Exodus less time than we were in John. She says, and I think this speaks for a lot of people. She says, I really miss Romans. Julie really is the voice of the people. <laughs> she is. <laughs> yeah, but like you can't preach the Romans forever. I, I do think that's a really common sentiment, right? To people, and like Lloyd-Jones did it. I'm pretty sure he died doing it. Yeah, he didn't finish. Uh, and I, he, I don't think he was faithful to the task because he, he was kind of like pulling sermons, you know, out of his buttocks at some points. Well, I will say, I'll say this. I think there needs to be like... I mean, I with general confidence, I can say my favorite book that I while I was preaching through the book of John was John. Right. My favorite book that I when I was preaching through the book of Romans was Romans. You know what we call this in education? Oh no, is there, is there a thing? It's called J Factor. J Factor. What's that mean? Uh, it's it's the joy that you have for your subject material. Oh. Mm-hmm. And it the the research shows that if you have J Factor. Then the, your hearers will have J Factor, oh. and everyone will have a much better. And so I do think that that you have specifically by living in these texts over the last six years have created that, not created that, but fostered that in us. I feel understood in the sense that I feel understood right now. Yeah, like yeah, we will call. Like, who's Jay. excited about yeah. Nahum? Like, let's be real. I enjoyed Nahum. Exactly. And you, yeah. you did that for us, right? Through your preparation. Is it promulgated? Oh. Proliferated. Proliferated. Promulgated yeah. is it. That's the word. Regardless, I hope. So <laughs> So I'm scared of Exodus right now. I won't be scared of Exodus. I, I'm reading through Exodus right now. There's a song. Sorry, you know me. There's a song that always comes to mind. And it's by Bob Marley. <laughs> And it's oh, it's gone. It's Exodus. I've lost control. <clears throat> he says, "Exodus, movement of your people." That's what he says every time I hear. Bro, that. we should like do when no. you walk up. We Do should stop. like have that jingle yes. playing when he walks up to preach in his preaching robe. <laughs> how count? How, what, like how unbalanced <laughs> is that? Did I tell you about the guy who said to me? He was like, "You dress like you're. Uh, you dress. You preach in attire that that leads me to believe that you would preach like trash." And you preach like someone from the 1850s. That's like, you're said. so broken. You need to yeah. put some like, I don't know, yeah. like tall socks. What are those pants called? Knickers? Knickers. Yeah. And like buckle shoes. Oh my yes. <laughs> All right. So anyway, back to Exodus. Why should Exodus matter? Way to get us back on the track. reason. The reason, I just wanted out of that one. The reason that Exodus should matter is because it actually is a key point in the meta narrative of all of scripture and it leads into the New Testament. Yeah, because the whole so the, it's the paradigm. It is it, it well Genesis it's a Genesis is foreshadowing it. Yeah. I mean it, it well Genesis is preparatory for it, which is why I was like we should do Genesis first. But um even even in Abraham's travels, like he mirrors it. It's wild, bro. Yeah. But then also you know, he comes got, out of Mesopotamia. Yeah. And he he goes um he goes through he comes to the promised land. He comes out of the promised land. It's like it's, and even then you've got the statements on. Hey, sorry, this is I'm gonna I'm gonna go. Uh, the next the next three minutes is for is for Darren Day J minute. Um, <laughs> one of the one of the key tenets of Exodus that most people don't get is his conquering of the gods of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's clear reference to principalities and powers that he tramples underfoot. Even the conquest of Canaan teaches us this as well. And so, like, it's not only a meta-narrative of uh, 
of deliverance and redemption, which it most certainly is. It's also a meta narrative, and all of this culminates obviously in the cross, but um, it's also a meta narrative on God demonstrating his authority over the principalities and powers. Mm-hmm. And that's really important as we as we work through it because the introduction to the actual plagues is God says, I'm going to put them all underneath my feet. Mm-hmm. Like, like all of these false gods of Egypt, they're going to be underneath my boot by the end of the day. And so like Pharaoh, for instance, is representative of, he's like the incarnation of the God of Ra, which means that he's the one who, who raises the sun and sets the sun. Mm-hmm. And so the day, the comedy behind this is God just says, no light for you. No light for mm-hmm. you. It's like you, you little plebes over here are pretending like you have power, authority, and dominion. Let me show you. Mm. And so he also mirrors the creation account in his in the plagues. He essentially goes up and up and up, and that's when you have the death of the firstborn. And so like the death of the firstborn is a mirror image of his creation of man. Mm. And so he's saying, I made life, I can take life. And so that all throughout all throughout the book of Exodus, you have demonstration of God's authority and his dominion. I also think you have a duality that's taking place in redemption. You've got God communicating to his people that he's the redeemer, and you've got God communicating to the Egyptians that he's the creator. It's a both-and moment where he's saying, y'all think that you have these gods. These gods are nothing. Like, they're underneath my feet. And that's, by the way, that's not to say like when I say those gods are nothing, it's not to say that there aren't actual spiritual forces behind them because I think there very clearly are spiritual forces behind the false worship of the Egyptians. I mean, those sorcerers had to have some kind of power to do what they did. Affirm. Like, so uh, what is it? The um, You probably, I would imagine many people have seen the movie, The Prince of Egypt. Right. Oh, and they're all, that's and, cinematic masterpiece. That's right. And they're all, the music's actually really good. Yeah, and they're all and, the, and all the magicians are like sitting there conniving. They're like, put this in there, and it'll look like blood, yeah. right? And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, I think that there was actual power behind the things that they did. Like, Super I think, fair. I think their stabs actually did turn to snakes. The whole purpose was to say, little little snake for you, <laughs> right? And and these guys never get their stabs back because because yeah. Moses' eight. staff eats them. Um, but so it's a demonstration of authority and power, and that runs all throughout the, the Old Testament into the New. It foreshadows the exodus from Babylon. Like all of these are, but, but even then, like the Babylonian exodus is not the fulfillment of the Egyptian exodus. It's essentially a refrain. It's like, hey, guys, just a reminder, this is going to happen in a truer sense. And that truer sense comes in Christ. Matthew is a seemingly a direct work through of the Exodus. Like if you study just the first couple of chapters of Exodus, or not Exodus, sorry, the first couple of chapters of Matthew, you're going to end up noticing that there's a clear correlation between the way Matthew writes and the actual trajectory of the Exodus. You can't get away from that. Um, John 2. John 2, but less so compared to Matthew. Um, Like I think that's Matthew's whole grid. Mm. Like his, he, this is what he's thinking through. John, John's working through statements and specifically signs. Well, there's and, that one part in John where the water he walks on the water. Yeah, where where Peter walks on the water. Where Jesus walks on the water. Yeah, Jesus walks on the water. Well, yes, Jesus does that. Yeah, Jesus walks on the water. And then he says, "I am the bread of life." Yeah, and, and where is he doing that at? Don't they go to the mountain? Anyways, it's fun. He's the bread of life, which he says. True story. He is the bread of life. Which he says, not the bread that Moses gave you. Yeah. 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 Well, Moses didn't give it to you. Uh, Moses gave you a type of bread. There's something better. Better. Yeah. Um, So it should matter for a number of reasons. Then also, I think narratively and in story sense, these things are important. Like, I think God does deal in narrative and story. We, we, I'll say we, I, and I think our congregation, and I think it's appropriate, really likes the, um, the epistle style teaching. Doctrinal. Yeah, yeah. But there's much doctrine to be gleaned. Yeah, Julian and I talked about this. There's much you know doctrine. What, what? We can't always be in the epistles. No, no, we can't. 
Nor should we be. And I think that much of, like in the broader evangelical world, I think a lot of there's a lot of deficient theology because people have stuck to the epistles at the expense of the rest of the scriptures. Or, or the other way around. Yeah, I mean, of course, you have people who like have found things in the Old Testament that aren't there. Yeah. Because they've refused to read it through the lens of the new. Right, right, right. Uh, or people who have only read the Gospels. And like, I mean, even what you're saying, if you take the Sermon on the Mount and don't take the epistles, then you're going to have a deficient, mm-hmm. from the beginning, you're going to have a deficient mm-hmm. theology. Or if you take the Sermon on the Mount and disconnect it from the Ten Commandments, you're going to have problems. True. And so, um, <coughs> but, he, but you know, for me, it's like Luke 24, 44. Absolutely. He sat down, opened the scriptures, and detailed for them all the things that were written about him. Yeah. Okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were being actively recorded yeah. at that moment. The epistles, not yet penned. Right. You don't have revelation. At the, at the time, Paul's not even converted. Right. Yeah. All you have are, are the, the Old Testament, Testament scriptures. scriptures. Yeah. yeah. And he, he it, said, like, if you believe what Moses wrote, yeah. you'll believe me. Or if you, yeah, if you believe Moses, if you believe, if you believe Abraham. Yeah. Like, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a hermeneutic that seemingly takes place in the New Testament day that is deeply rooted yeah. in the prophetic value of the scriptures being applied as these things were written down for examples on who the end of the age has come, yes. which is the church. Yeah, and I think as we're working through those, it's important for us to to have a well-rounded hermeneutic, right? And so wh- I'll tell you one of the reasons I have some fear around Exodus. Um, have you ever done something for so long and you're like, man, this brought me such joy. And then you go do something else for a period of time. And then you're coming back to that thing that once brought you great joy. Mm-hmm. So like the vast majority of my, no, nah, I mean, I mean, four years and some change of my ministry here, of our ministry here, has been in a gospel and in an epistle. Okay, mm-hmm. the the Old Testament passage that we preach through, we preach through Jonah, and we preach through Nahum, we preach through the Psalms. I mean, not all the Psalms, mm-hmm. um, but going back to the Book of Exodus and actually preaching through that entire narrative, it doesn't it doesn't scare me, but it's like I have muscles that I haven't used. I mean, it's not that I don't use them in my own personal devotional time, but there's just, it's, you cannot compare like personal Bible study to preparing a sermon. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're both good and they're both helpful, but the level of labor that goes into preparing a sermon for, for the people is just, it's just extra. It's more, it's ordered. Like there's just a lot that goes into it. And so, you know, Beth's, Beth's favorite sermons that I've ever preached are all Old Testament passages. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so like I'm a little like going back to to maybe, you know, use those muscles again for me. It's somewhat like it, it causes yeah, it's me gonna to be interesting because here's what I'm excited about. Watch the two of you frame this up with the historical grammatical. Right. And this is what you're referencing. To do that well and to simultaneously be balanced, where Mm -hmm. you're then saying, this is the hermeneutic of the apostles in light of Christ's revelation, Mm -hmm. and this is what this example means to the church. Right. And if you think about, okay, well, let's think about a passage that does that really well. I always go to 1 Corinthians 10 as an apologetic to say, this is how this is interpreted. Yeah. And he really runs through real high level. I mean, if you could say what is First Corinthians oh, yeah, it's ten reference way high. Yeah, uh, he's it's, gone it's to the top of the mountain. Yeah, and he's feet, preaching yeah. Exodus yeah. in totality. Yeah. And and you know, that's where it's like you can literally take the subject matter of Exodus and frame First Corinthians ten as your framework and be done with it in one Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, and, and that's yeah, so that's so it's a question yeah. of how granular do you want to be? Yeah. And how meta, you know, top of the mountain. You know, let you know, viewing the topography, if you will, like of of how how how, how grandiose it is. Yeah, and you yeah. also have. Sorry, Blake. Go ahead. I'm just saying. Yeah, you have phases of Exodus though that's, that are unique. Yeah, right. So like, you're dealing with the actual Exodus account, which is narrative. 
And then you've got a large portion of it that is legislative, right? Mm-hmm. It's giving it's giving of the law. Yeah, um, these promote questions like why. Yeah, exactly. You know uh, well, th- then also like, I think a great question, and this is a question I've been working through in my own like study and preparation for this in my own more like internal thinking is, how do I preach on um, like single use laws? Like, because there, there, there's some laws that are big. So, like, let's take, um, let's take uh, the bond servant laws concerning bond servants, right? What chapter would you be in in Exodus at this point? I think tw- I don't know. 21, 21 22. twenty-two. I think. Yeah, twenty is the Ten Commandments. Yeah, and I think you've got laws concerning bond servants shortly laws after. About yeah. Slaves. So, like, you have laws about this. So, like, what are what are the ways in which I preach through that? And to some degree, is it like? Do I do I group large sections of those together to be able to like here's this here's this here's this or like there's there's just a lot there's a lot of questions I have around actually teaching the mosaic law especially the portions um, like civil law in particularly like I think is an interesting conversation to have and then ceremonial law ceremonial law I mean frankly we look at those and we say hey look here's the means by which they're fulfilled they're fulfilled in Christ um, but civil law is for the gathered the gathered nation of Israel in that particular time. I, I, I don't believe that civil law is intended to be of the same use today. Is there general equity there? I think that's fair. Um, but yeah, so working through that's been an interesting dynamic as well. Um, I'm actually really excited to you preach. listen to that podcast I shared with you. I was really excited to preach through the Ten Commandments. Um for a number of reasons, because there are there are laws that are specifically prescriptive to that people. In Absolutely, that time. yeah. Like like yeah. I mean, literally. What, what? Let's say I take the um, dietary restrictions, but there's also laws that are prescriptive that yet all all already preceded the actual verbal giving of the law. Well, the the moral law being that moral well, law, you pre- should not have any other god before me. That that's always that been. stands the test of yeah, time. Exactly. Because it's anchored in the in the person and nature of God Himself, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and so you know those those types of things will be helpful. Um, the uh, and then like the, one of the things that I loved preaching through a long time ago was preaching through the giving of the tabernacle. Mm. Um, the giving of the tabernacle is an incredible event, um, and the I mean the symbolics inside of oh, the giving of the man. tabernacle are just so vast, and so it's like. Well, what's the best way to do that? Is the best way to do that isolate every single individual piece? Like, or is it, I want to take the, sorry, let's take the, the priest, for instance. Here's the priest. Here's the way that we see the priest. Like, am I going to spend, how much time am I going to spend actually parsing the priest and his garb? It's like, I think that's probably one sermon to do that really well, to give a whole orb view. Like, I, I, I don't necessarily think it's helpful for us to be like, here's why he wore a bonnet. Right. It's like, no, no, no. I want to look at the whole, the whole man there and why he gave this. What's the purpose of the oil? What's the purpose of the stones? Like all of but those. But you know, it would be hard to like be preaching through that and then not reference Romans, right? That he descended from David. And then mm-hmm. also draw from Hebrews where it's like he serves from a tribe that Moses never spoke of, right? Mm-hmm. And then also referencing he- Hebrews that Moses on the mountain was told to erect the tabernacle according to the copies that he was shown, right? Right, right. These copies actually represent true copies, not made by man, but erected by God in heavenly places. And that now our, you know, our, our true and better Moses goes into that temple, not as the Levitical priest offering sins for himself, but offering himself. Yeah. Well, I said offering as a Levitical priest. That's Aaron. I know. You said Moses. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was just trying to be a helper. Yeah, thank you. I wasn't trying to gotcha. Um, Honestly, how dare you, Don? <laughs> how dare I? In, in all fairness, it's an easy. Um, but yeah, you know I'm mean, saying like I, that's where I would be. Like no, like certainly all of these look things. At the shadow. Let's yeah, look these at things it. have. Study it closely. Yeah, they absolutely, absolutely all have a a, a here. And here, Old Testament, here, New Testament. By the way, Romans doing catechism right now. And uh, in what is the word of God? We do 
because I paraphrase it because they're longer answers, but it's the old and the new Testament. <laughs> it's cute. Anyway. Um, so yeah, just building the each, each and every one of those things out. I'm, I'm excited to do it is, um, it is a different task. Like there's a like you can, I'd be curious your thoughts. I think it's a, I think it's a vast difference between preaching Old Testament passages and preaching New Testament passages. I mean, the act is the same, but the study is different. Yeah. Uh, I think that the temptation to, quote unquote, make a beeline to Christ, mm. to, to square put a square peg in a round hole, is greater but there's also the other ditch, which is this could become a history lesson mm-hmm. very quickly. And so to strike the balance of being faithful to the text to say, you know, grammatically and historically what is there and then to link that to the redemptive reality that it is a shadow of, mm-hmm. I think just requires a lot more thinking and you know, the redemptive realities when you're in the New Testament, they're there. Like, that's what they're about, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you have to you have to find the balance between, you know, not falling in the ditch of a history lesson and not falling in the ditch of creating Christ where he's not there. Uh, and I, I think that takes a lot of thought and time and really honing of your skills because – it is easy as a as a young preacher to just throw, you know, Jesus is the better blank. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's not there. And then the other part of that is week after week after week after week, Jesus can't just be the better blank. Mm-hmm. You know, like we've mm-hmm. got he you have to you have to be specific in your application to Christ because if you're general, then you're you are gonna sound like a broken record and it's not gonna be helpful. You have to be specific in the sense of what does this actual text, not just the book of Genesis, I mean the book of Exodus, but what does this actual text say about Christ or push me toward thinking about Christ instead of like just these kind of big general thoughts, because in that sense you get redundant and it's not helpful. Yeah, that's super helpful. So the so Brian Chapel has a book and it's a good book. I'm going to I'm going to say I've got a qualm with it, but his book is Christ-centered preaching. Okay? But and, and no, it, I read that book. Huh? Seminary, we had to read it. Yeah, it really is a helpful book, but one of his major arguments, find find the find the frail man and find how there's there's a savior. Yeah, and if I could tell you how many times in seminary I heard a chapel sermon about some dude who's an unlikely hero being a hero, and like it being like Christ is our unlikely hero and who's our hero. Like it just gets kind of yeah sickening almost. It, yeah. I, I guess for me though, like I think about we we don't have we don't have to find square pegs for round holes. No, we don't. No, we that's don't. the whole and point. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's yeah, what, yeah. Like, that's they, what, like yeah. we we have cross references and correlations yeah. which build build these things out as as a as the apostolic hermeneutic, yeah. if you will. And it doesn't mean that hermeneutic is a guiding principle. It's actually it's actually the cross-reference. That yeah. Moses was a servant in God's house. Yeah. Christ is a son yeah. over his house. You know, it's like these are these are big concepts. I guess for me it'd be like you like I do agree with you. Like how do you avoid being that crescendo like, like, where do you hold Where you back? tag on the gospel that has no connection right. to the sermon well, you just preached. That too, like what you're talking about, like if you're talking about Moses being a servant and Christ being a son, you also have to decide which week you're going to bring that out. Right. <laughs> you know, because it's like, yeah. it's yeah. there. It's always going to be there. Right. But like, you can't say that every time. Right. You know, you have to, so you have to decide like, and not steal from a future place where it could be great. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, but just what about like to, make it okay? Uh, so let me let me speak because one of the things that I always grew up like the the super like real Christians, right? The ones Amen. that were like, I really love Jesus. This guy, he always says every vo- every verse points you to Jesus, and it's like so so yes, in a sense, in a sense, but not all verses are equally pointing you to Jesus. But the whole the whole thought block, yeah, right. So it's like. Hey guys, like I think it's better for us to take. So going back to the priests, right? Why not? Like the better option is to take the whole picture 
and don't cheat yourself out of the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, here's the small phrase. And look, I'm, look, people make fun of me about the pace in which I take text. All right? I get it. It's about to be over. It's about to be over. But, but like, the reason I do that is because you can take them alone and build them out really well in the light of, of the whole yeah, of Scripture. I told you, I said, every three words Paul in Romans was making an argument. Exactly. The whole thing. <laughs> that's not what That's not happening. What, no. Like, when you Some get the tablets and you get the law, yeah. like, that, that's where I'm at. Like, you can yeah, like actually... The golden calf is one sermon. Right. Like, the well, whole thing is one sermon. That's what I was telling Lawson the other day. It's like, there's, you know, when Exodus gets repetitive, it's like, are we going to take one chapter from each of those three sections and like like that a sermon i think because i think that's probably helpful it's yeah. like you're going to be preaching on a chat three chapters that are five or six chapters apart but it's just the progression of that one thing god giving it to moses moses telling the people yeah. and the people doing it so i think that's where you where you can you can put yourself in a point of danger by saying hey i'm going to take this tiny thing and i'm going to build it out like so aw pink who i love who you know i love <laughs> A.W. Pink, I think, is really guilty of this. A mm. lot of times, A.W. Pink yeah, missed, missed the forest for the trees. <laughs> and it's like, no, Genesis. no, no, no. Like, huh? In Genesis. Gleanings in Genesis. Like, so, I love it. But you know what's interesting? He's the, got a gleanings in Exodus. Yeah, he does. I've read it. The, um, of course, yeah. The parts, but the parts <laughs> where he excels is where he takes the forest. I wish I had a pastoral book allowance. Um, <laughs> I just bought you books from the pastoral book allowance. <laughs> which which will be a week the bleed machine um so all that to say i want to go back to to circle peg round hole no square peg round hole (laughs) sorry circle peg would actually fit pretty well okay so anyway the so i went back and i grabbed my sermon from jonah one okay the very first point I made, because this was the first Old Testament book we ever preached, was I had three three tenets for preaching the Old Testament. Be historical. Be historical. Like, I think you you are doing a disservice to your hearer and to the text. That's you why were, you wanted to preach Genesis, and it's why you're doing a primer before Exodus. Right, is because, because that is your motivation. And also, like... I think I think the There's statement, some backstory here historically that informs that matters, your absolutely. modern reading. And and it also is an important point to note that like I don't think it's necessary to arbitrarily reach out and import Jesus into the text. I think he's there. Mm-hmm. Like like my assumption isn't that I have to go get him. My assumption is that God when he gave this gave us a revelation, a mysterious Revelation of Christ in the text. I don't have to import him. I have to look for him. Mm. Right? So it's very different. Do you think that the text that I'm thinking of right now is, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from it? Right. So this is Romans 3. Yeah. Yeah. It's making reference to Jesus. When I read the law and the prophets, like... That's what it's making reference to. The righteousness of God is being made manifest. The law and the prophets bear witness. bears witness to it, although it is manifested apart from it. Right, so that's Revelation... Revelation, that's Romans 3. Romans 16 tells us the way in which it was revealed, which is through mystery. Well, then it also asks you, why then the law? And it says it was added. To increase the trespass. Right. So... So in this historical situation, right, like as I'm going through Exodus, let's just take the actual narrative of Exodus. The actual narrative of Exodus is testifying that there's a king in Zion, right? I put him there, um, that he's the, he's the one who rules and reigns over all creation. He's the firstborn. I mean, like goodness, he's the firstborn. He's the sacrificial lamb. Like all of those things are innate within the book of Exodus. He's the deliverer who really does bring us through a, a, a far worse sea, which has motifs all the way back to Noah as well. And so all these things are naturally there. I don't have to go make some point to bring him in. The beeline to the cross, this is my argument, the beeline to the cross is found upon the fact that he's historically been placed there, right? It's, I'm not, I don't have to drag him. He's there. And because we have the light of the New Testament and because we live on the other side of Pentecost, we look back and it's like, oh yeah, he's, he's right there. Same thing with 
with the giving of the tabernacle. What's the tabernacle? I mean, like goodness, John one at that point, he tabernacled among us. This isn't even, look, that's just there. It's just there. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing in the tabernacle that's not making reference to, to Christ or the effect that he has on his people is the golden lampstand that's made of pure gold that I think references the spirit of God. And so like, in the midst of all of those, there's forecasts and there's foreshadowings that are very clearly present. The task of the expositor and the task of the people, I think in general, as they read, because even going back to the previous podcast we did, speaking of the laity holding these truths dear, is I'm not trying to arbitrarily import him. I believe he's there. Mm -hmm. Since I believe he's there, the more historical I go, the more accurate I am in the grammatical historical interpretation of this text, the easier it is going to be for me to apply this in a redemptive historical way. Mm-hmm. The error is when we say these two things aren't the aren't, don't go together. Mm-hmm. No, they're married. They're married, and they're meant to be held together. And um, the guys who skip the historical grammatical and go into the redemptive historical, they they fail in their task. The historical grammatical interpretation if it's left alone, just doesn't go far enough. I mm. tell people it's like winter without Christmas. Um, I mean, it is. I have a there, there's another line of that, but yeah. So, what? So, there, so we're talking about narratives, right? Or essentially typology, type right. in any type. Sure. That, 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 that essence, that reality is essence. there in Exodus. I don't think there's any argument against it. But, but our doctrines are formed to mold and I guess inform our dogmatics sure. and our practice. What do you think inside the book of Exodus would be those types of subject matter that the belief, because I think about, I think mm-hmm. about why then the law, why was it added? Right. Right. And I think about, you know, the law being given, you know, and, and understanding that in Romans, the argument was that you can call, you can call it the natural law, pre-existing the giving sure. of, of the Mosaic law by from God to Moses, and that not being contra to God himself. Mm. And yet, like, when you're reading early in Genesis, like, you realize there's something innate in the creature when, uh, when uh, Cain murders Abel that he was shamed and in hiding, right? I mean, there's something there. And it didn't have to be just all of a sudden that God wrote, thou shall not murder. Yeah. Like that pre-existed the law uh, giving by Moses. You know, and I think that was the argument that was made in Romans, right? That it was mm-hmm. like, why then the law? Like it was also, you know, written on the heart of man. And, I, you know, to me, do you think that there's a, there's a place inside that giving of the law within the book of Exodus that you're working out doctrinal positions yeah. within the grammatical historical bringing them for you know what i'm saying i think there's like that like that would be the other difficulty i think as a as a preacher to work through the granular nature of the law and and yet there's a meta there's a meta narrative if you will of the law itself given by moses i think every every part of the law is is communicating the character of god which is a really helpful part of exodus is that you you get to see you know, God giving the law, you get to see who God is mm-hmm. in the sense of what he values and what he, how he protects and how he cares for his people. Like, I think the law, going through the law provides all of those kind of doctrinal things that we see, obviously, in the New Testament as well. But you get to see that God cares for, you know, you could even say, so God cares for the poor. Right. And we see that Christ brings that into the New Testament and says, actually, the most poor are those who are destitute spiritually. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to care for them in this way in, in rescuing them from their sin. Like, I, I don't know. I think the law shows us all of these things about God that we can, we can bring full circle in the meta narrative and say, like, look at who God is and who he's always been. He mm-hmm. hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's right? You think it's okay to, like, with a with a law around dietary restrictions? Do you think it's fair to ask why? Why, like, why no shellfish? Do I think it's fair to ask that in the Old Testament? Yes. Why? Yeah, I think, you think it's that's fair to for ask their why. protection. I actually do. I, I actually yeah, like, I think for health, yeah. 
Which I, again shows I the care of God. Yeah, I think it's fair. misapplied. Like a lot of times, it's like we totally don't understand the law, right? And then you see somebody eating shrimp, and you're like, <laughs> slap it out of their hand. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, no, no, that's a misapplication of the law. Like you don't, like, yeah, the, abolishment through fulfillment, right? But even then, like that one. I, I, so again, this is you're going to have differences in types of law. And that, and I think that I think that matters greatly to the mm-hmm. way that we interpret them. But all that to say, like there are some things that don't carry forward because we're not dealing with a nation of people, mm-hmm. right? And then there, and you know, normally when people cite anything in this category, they're like, oh, well, then this falls into this category. But there are some of those commandments that are not anchored in the civility of Israel mm-hmm. or even in ceremonial, but just based in the fact that this is like. You take the Ten Commandments, for instance. I'm I will never reach a point where I'm going to be like the Ten Commandments are not transcovenantal. Mm-hmm. They're transcovenantal. Mm-hmm. They're transcovenantal because God's the God of all the covenants. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. Mm-hmm. And so, that being the case, it's like you take those laws and you see them in regard to, like you you can take sexual morality across the board, right? This is a stonable offense in the old covenant. Yeah, it it it, it is not a stonable conv- uh, offense in the in the new covenant. It's just as sinful in the new, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that hasn't changed. It's not subject to alteration. And so blood had to be shed. Blood had to be shed. You know, one of the funny comments, uh, you know, R.C. Sproul and his clever quips, right? He asked, why were there so many, why were there so many, uh, 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 what is it? Capital offenses in the old covenant. And his response was God's mercy. <laughs> and, and his whole joke was they all should be uh, capital offenses. Yeah. Um, but Anyway, so how we deal with those things matters. Um, I'm actually, one of the things that I'm most looking forward to is working through um, the Ten Commandments. And again, like I've already mentioned, there's just a uniqueness of going through them. Um, You know, the reality is we affirm, and this is, I I think I can tell you the structure of every one of my sermons in, in regard to the Ten Commandments. The majority of them are going to be, here's the commandment. Here's its fullest interpretation, which will just be walking through the Sermon on the Mount. Right. And then here's how Christ has fulfilled it for us. And here's how, because we love him and we're inside the covenant of grace, we aim to obey him. Yeah. Right. So it's like, that's, that's the general trajectory. There are some things that I want to develop because I think they'll be helpful for more than just me. Um, and, I, and like, for instance, the second commandment, which I know that everybody, like I, I've got strong opinions about. And, I, and, I, and I, I'm not going to apologize for them. Um, I think when I pre- this is my hope. You want to hear my secret hope? My secret hope is two CV is the acronym for those that don't know. Yeah, my my secret <laughs> my secret hope is I'm going to preach through the golden calf, and I hope everybody is like, yeah, that's exactly what the Second Commandment's about. I, I I I don't know how we divorce those things, and I think they matter. Um, I'm looking forward to dealing with what it means in the new covenant to obey, um, to obey. Uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Mm-hmm. Because, like, is Jesus our Sabbath? A hundred percent. The way in which we obey this commandment in its fullest sense is by resting in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our fulfilled Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Affirm. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is given for given for man, right? All of those things are true. There does still quite clearly seem to be a way in which the Sabbath commandment is kept inside the new covenant. Yep. And that's gathering together with God's people on the day that Jesus bought by the resurrection of the dead. So <clears throat> like all of those things, I think that we're going to see built out. And, and, you know, the reality is, you know, perhaps it is that I'll have a position changed on some of these. Um, I'm okay with that. I, I just, I just want to know more clearly what it's teaching, right? Um, but I think the way in which we look at um, the Ten Commandments, for instance, I want to be able to see it as revelatory. I want to be able to see it as condemning. And I want to be able to see it as fulfilled. And then after fulfillment, a deep desire to obey from a place of deep affection for the Lord. So that's, that's kind of my hope and trajectory there. Mm. Um, I'm excited about like, we, we mentioned the kind of the difficult study, but I'm excited about the, <clears throat> I don't know. There's something about that kind of study. Oh, it's sweet. Yeah, that I was thinking about in uh, 2020 when T4G was like just digital. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was watching it in my living room and John Piper was preaching about how a lot of our 
quote unquote Christ centered preaching has failed. Uh, and the quote that he said that like really resonated with me that stuck with me is he said, uh, there is a kind of preaching that floats just above the text and does not land often enough for the people to see what the preacher is saying is really what the words of the text actually mean. And it's the most Piper sentence I've ever heard in my whole life. No, but it's like that stuck with me forever because it's like, if I can be guilty of anything in the old Testament preaching, it's, it's to ignore the text to jump to somewhere else, the redemptive application. Yeah. And I love the, I love the opportunity that Exodus and really any old Testament text provides us to dig into the historical grammatical realities of the text and then to apply them to the redemptive uh, understanding of the scriptures. Like I'm, I'm really excited about that. Fair. Yeah. And I think it, I think it informs our worship. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? When you understand the detail, right? That's the exhaustive detail and the order of the Levitical priesthood that was laid out and the erecting of the tabernacle, the shedding of the blood, the <laughs> order of the ordinances, what it was leading into, how how the people fell away, and it was yeah. just solely one individual high priest as that priest would go in once a year. And then there in that ark, Within within the Ark of the Covenant would be the tablets, Mos, you know, Aaron, mm-hmm. Aaron's budding staff, Moses, rock, you know, all of these things mm-hmm. go in. Then the lid goes on. You've got the archangels leaning over, and then there in the middle of it is the mercy seat, right. where where God says, "I will stand and meet with you." And you realize there, like the pinnacle of all of this labor that's building for is at the feet of God at his mercy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That all of this, he is not satisfied with the with the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but yet this perpetually did itself over and over and over and over. And then when John says, behold the lamb, mm. you know, like it ushers in yeah. this, this fulfillment of freedom that we have. Like I've heard it said by a pastor before, the New Testament is frighteningly free. Because <laughs> <laughs> you had all of this frame and order and mm-hmm. do it this way down to the dot and the tittle. Yeah, all and then, for a shadow. Yeah. <laughs> that to me is like, when you understand the granular nature of Exodus and the meta, right? The right. leaves, the trees, the forest, the whole land. To me, it's like when you revisit an epistle, you revisit it changed. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the the last thing. Sorry, we better say something. No. The last thing I'd say on this is like, this is something you, you've said before, and I, I think it's helpful. And it's to be a, bas- a master of the New Testament, you need to be a master of the Old. Mm-hmm. And to be a master of the Old Testament, you need to be a master of the New. Because I've said, if you want to understand Revelation better, go study the Old Testament. Exactly. And then revisit mm-hmm. Revelation. Exactly. Because it's like, oh. Oh, I know what these things yeah. are. Like, yeah, yeah, this makes sense. Like, there, you're you're not gonna like. It's very clearly the case that Jesus thought heavily about the Exodus. Yeah. Not only did Jesus think about the Exodus, Jesus was the better Moses who led a people mm-hmm. out of the of of the in the greater Exodus, mm-hmm. and so like, from the house of slavery, exactly. The true house. So holding so holding these things and having them in your mind in a picturesque way. Like, you know, we make the joke that, you, you know, paint me a picture, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, the reality is God's already painted some pictures. Yep. And it's like our job is to look at them and to enjoy them and to understand them so that when we go to the examination of them, mm. we go with a, with a bright-eyed view. Mm-hmm. Like Hebrews, for instance, you know, people say often, Hebrews is closed to you if you don't understand the book of Leviticus. Mm. I, I don't think that's necessarily true but you're crazy if you don't think Leviticus mm-hmm. is helpful. Mm-hmm. Like most people read the statement that we make. I mean, I, we probably cite this regularly in sermons, but um, or at least I do, which is uh, Jesus um, is not coming again to deal with sin. Which if yeah. you place that in a priestly concept, the expectation would be the priest would come back to deal with sin again. Mm-hmm. Jesus isn't coming back to deal with sin again. Mm-hmm. It's already been dealt with in full. And so if you place that in Levitical sight, in Levitical order, it's like, He's not, guys, he did it. Like it's done. And so thinking about those things from a New Testament perspective or from an Old Testament perspective is like, they're waiting for the priest to come back. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. 
we're not waiting for the priest to come mm-hmm. back. So anyway, yeah, all of those things will be hopefully worked out and delved into. And my hope is that when we do make our way back to a New Testament book, which I think we've already decided what we're doing after that, but we're not telling you now. Um, and we have, we've actually talked about this already, but we'll, I'll tell you in a minute. With me? Huh? Yeah, you were here. All right, we got to hang up. Uh, we got to hang up. So when, night, we, when we come back, it'll be of aid to you as we walk through the New Testament as well, looking at our king from both the Old and the New Testament. So in conclusion, somebody's got a Bible. You literally verse. have your Bible open. What do you want me to read? You have your Bible open. I thought you had something already. Mm-hmm. I got you. You got me? I know what I would do. So in conclusion, Blake has a Bible verse. Second Timothy. No, that's not what I was going to do. Three, yeah. 16, and 17. That's good though. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I'd like to thank my fellow elders, Lawson Harlow and Blake McCullough for the time spent today. Fellas, you are the J-Factors. My brothers and my friends, Godspeed. Gas station sausage and biscuits. Gas are stations hard to are on the come up, dude. Hernando's happening, bro. And we've got. I had a chicken shawarma, <laughs> Sammy, from a gas from station. A gas station. <laughs> and Julie was telling Noel this man's about, here talking about what he puts in his body and how he's so careful. It's chicken. Okay, but from, from a gas station, shawarma from the gas station. Near, near it's Eden. literally raw. It's in near the Eden, guys. It's raw in the middle. <laughs> This is the, the heart thing of humanity. The way that a shawarma works is it only cooks the outside. That's that's what a shawarma is. Yeah, I like that. I trust them that they're getting the outside crispy and it's still cooking. Is, was that your computer? Yeah. Okay. So, do you want me to do the welcome no, part? I got okay. one more part to tell. Okay. Chicken shawarma. We're standing there, and the guy comes out from around the food ah. counter, and he's like, "Hey." do y'all like these? And I go, oh, I love, and Julie's like, what is that? And I go, it's falafel. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so he gives a free bonus falafel. You got I'm a like, bonus falafel. And I said, bro, give me Bless six him. of those, put those in some styrofoam, <laughs> and out the door we went. Later in the day, Julie's telling Noel about your swarm adventure, gas station adventure <laughs> to Mediterranean lunch. And she says, we got chicken shawarma sandwiches, and we have falafel balls. <laughs> They're not falafel balls. They're just falafels. Because falafels are always in in round form. So be like, we had hush puppy balls. They're spheres. balls. A what? What'd you say? Hush puppy balls. Uh, What? Hush puppy spheres. Hush puppy. Yeah, it's funny. Okay. I get it.